want to invite you to go ahead and grab your Bibles. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 together this morning. You know, as you're going there, I just want to start off by this statement. Life is about perspective. Whether it's good times or difficult times, it's all about perspective. I remember reading a story about a guy who woke up late one day and made it to the airport late, and so he missed his flight uh, at that time. And, of course, he was angry and he was frustrated that, that he had missed his flight. But it would be a short time later that that anger and frustration gave way, really, to grief and to relief. See, this was a plane that was taken off from Logan International Airport there in Boston. However, shortly after its takeoff, this particular plane would be hijacked, turned, and it would be one of the planes that would hit one of the World Trade Centers. It's amazing how reading the rest of the story can change our perspective, isn't it? We, we look at things in life right in front of us, and we interpret a set of facts based on what we see right in front of us. But if we could only see what God was doing, if we could only understand the big picture, I wonder if our mindset would change. See, the one big thing this morning is this, that living by faith means trusting God with our future despite our present trials. Let's look at it together. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 16 and ask if you would stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. It says this. For which cause we faint not, but through our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. Not for, the, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that wrought for us the selfsame thing is God, who also has given us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for the opportunity just to Open your word and to know you more. Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive the truth of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Again, the one big thing is this, that living by faith means trusting God with our future despite our present trials. Paul is going to be talking here about the difficulties of ministry 
and, and the suffering. And, and what is giving him a hope, what is, as he opens there in verse 16, he gives the second reason of why he doesn't despair, he doesn't faint. He said, I know there's a better day coming. He's talking about the, the fact that when a believer dies, we go to be in the presence of the Lord. And all suffering, all pain, all of these things that characterize our everyday life, they're no longer there. That there's this better, this more eternal that is coming. And, and so when Paul talks about living by faith, what we see in this text is this, living by faith is a matter of perspective. We could also put it this way, suffering is a matter of perspective. In verse 16, Paul is giving us again that second reason for why he's not fainting or he's, he's not giving up despite the tremendous pressures of ministry. The first reason he says this, I know that God is going to save some. And I know God's going to save people because he saved me. And so now what we're seeing in this text is he's saying, I'm not giving up because if I live by faith, I know there's something greater coming. One of these days I'm going to experience it. And believing that something better is coming, put Paul's suffering in perspective. We see it right there in verse 17. Because he's got this eternal mindset, Paul says, for our light affliction." which is but for a moment. He's saying any suffering that I'm going through right now, it's light and it's momentary. In the context of eternity, whatever difficulties I experience in life are a drop in the bucket. Why? Look at how he ends it. He says that they are working, they work it for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Paul is saying that my suffering serves a purpose. That God knows what he's doing. He's working out his plan. Now this isn't Paul saying, I understand everything about God's plan. My guess is every one of us have been in here, have been to this place in life. We have no idea what's coming next. It just seems like one thing after another. Like one wave is crashing over us. And as soon as we get back to our feet, another bigger wave comes and knocks us back down. It just keeps seeming to happen in all of this. But what Paul is getting at is coming into verse 18. He says, while we look not the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. Paul is going, this glory that, that he's talking about in verse 17 is something that I can experience now in my life. One thing that we as a church, uh, as a whole, need to get through our minds is this. Jesus Christ does not save us just for us to sit there and wait to die and go to heaven. All right? There is more of a plan and a purpose for our lives. God has saved us so that we can know him and so we can make him known. We can experience peace, joy, and love now. We don't have to wait for it there in the future. When we understand that what God is doing in us and for us is for our good, it puts what we're experiencing into perspective. Now, it doesn't mean that we're going to enjoy it. But it means there's a purpose behind it. It means God is not arbitrarily allowing me to suffer for no reason. That there is something going on that God is going to do in me and through me 
that in his wisdom, he said this is the only way it could happen. Yeah, we, we shared a little bit in the Sunday school class I got to, to lead this morning. One of the hardest times in my life was the death of my grandfather. But I will also say this with absolute certainty. The man standing before you now would not be standing here had not God allowed me to go through that time. That suffering was what God used to bring me to himself. We need to understand this. Church, I know it hurts. Life is full of pain and sorrow and frustration. I got it. But we have to trust that there is a sovereign God control of everything at all times and that there's a plan and a purpose behind it. That I may not understand why I'm going through it now, but one day of these days, it's going to make sense. Two of my favorite quotes, one come from, uh, comes from A.W. Tozer. He says, you will not know that God is all you need until it's all you've got. And the other one comes from Charles Spurgeon. He says this, you will never know the fullness of Christ until you fully know the emptiness of everything but Christ. The reality is some of you here this morning may be trying to find your purpose, your happiness, in other stuff. It's why you go from place to place to place and thing to thing to thing. You get into one relationship, oh, I'm so happy, I love him, and everything's great. And, and then the next day on Facebook, oh, he's such a dirt bag, and yada, yada, yada. And, and then you find this new guy, and, oh, this is great, this is my love of my life. And two weeks later, oh, he's a jerk too, right? Like, we, we've seen this a lot in life. Or how we think, you know what, listen, if I can just get this promotion, then, then I'll get this pay raise. And, and then, honey, then I can stay, I can be home a little bit more, and I can go to all the kids' events, and I can do all of this. I just got to work these insane hours just to get this promotion. And when I get it, man, we're going to be set. And the reality is you get that promotion. And you're not working less. You're working the same, if not maybe a little bit more. Because what you come to find out is you are seeking validation in, from people and from things. And it gives you a temporary feeling of woohoo. But eventually, that which you longed for, you now loathe. That thing that you said was going to make life so good is now making your life so miserable. And that's because God has created us for Him. We will only find peace and joy, joy and love. We will only find satisfaction in a relationship with God. That's who we were created for. Nothing else will ever be able to satisfy us. But trials also teach us how to live day by day. And they teach us how to depend on the sufficiency of God's grace. There are some lessons that you and I can only learn as we suffer. You know, Paul, later on in, this, in the letters of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he's going to say, I prayed three times for God to remove a thorn from me. as a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, Paul says. And three times God said, no. 
for my grace is sufficient. So Paul's summary statement is this. When I am weak, then God's strength is revealed. When I learn to depend on God, then I realize and learn that God is all I need. When we suffer, we also get to learn what Jeremiah wrote in Lamentations 3, 23. says, for your mercies are new every morning. Every day is a new opportunity to wake up and to experience God. There in Psalm 23, David teaches that we learn that God refreshes and restores our soul as we rest and trust in him. Some of you aren't resting, you're exhausted because you are trying to be good enough. You're trying to do enough good for God to love you. This is what you hear this morning. There is nothing that you and I can do that will make God love you any more or any less than he already does. When you're out there trying to figure it out, you are creating at best a temporary solution. But this is an eternal problem. You have to learn how to rest and trust, not in who you are, not in what you do, but solely and completely in what Jesus did for you. That's how you find rest. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 11, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Man, the Jews, they were trying to keep the law. They were like, if I can just keep the law and be a good person, then then God will love me. And, And Jesus goes, you guys don't have a clue. Are you weary? Are you heavy laden because you're trying to to be religious? Jesus said, come to me and I'll give you rest. Jesus said, I'm going to do what you can't do for yourself. So you can trust me. See, when we have an eternal perspective, we learn that our trials are working for us and not against us. That they are accomplishing God's plan for us. What's God's plan for us? If you were to read Romans 8, 29, you would see this. That his plan is to conform us to the image of his son. Jesus is trying to transform us from the inside out so that we look more like Christ to reveal him to the rest of the world. God isn't interested primarily in our happiness. He is primarily interested in our holiness. And we have to trust in his plan. It's important that as a believer, we have this eternal perspective that a better day is coming. Because if a better day is not coming, can we be really honest? That's pretty rough. Like if the the things of this world and the experiences that we go through every day, if this is as good as it gets, with all due respect, you can have it because I don't want it. But how do we know? I mean, how do we really know that there is a better day coming? Two reasons. Number one, the Bible says it. And here's a fundamental question that our generation must wrestle with and decide. The Bible is either completely true or it's not true at all. It is either true from in the beginning all the way to even so come Lord Jesus or it's not. You and I cannot and we have to refuse to pick and choose certain Bible verses or stories that we like and kind of chuck the others over to the side. 
All right? God's word is God's word. He has not left it up to my interpretation or my application. He has said, this is the truth. Now, how do you respond? And I'm going to be really honest. I mean, there's a lot of deep, heavy stuff in, in Scripture. I mean, have you ever really studied the book of Job? That'll depress you pretty quick until you recognize this, that God was using every bit of it to strengthen Job and to show how worthy he is. There's some weighty stuff in Scripture. But to decide, are we going to believe it or are we not? By the way, it doesn't matter if we believe it or not. It is the truth that's being played out in front of us. But it will change how we interact with people in life. Now, the second way that we know a better day is coming is something that Paul uses in our text. He, he uses a word that my guess is we probably don't use very often. It's verse 5. All right, chapter 5, verse 5. He says, Now, he that wrought uh, for us the same thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Now, my guess is we probably don't use the word earnest very often. How many of you know what an engagement ring is? You know what an earnest is. And that's literally what he is getting at. The earnest is the down payment. Okay? Guys, when you went and spent, you know, two months of salary or whatever, and you created this perfect atmosphere, and you got down on one knee after asking the, uh, your, your girlfriend's dad for permission to, to marry her, and you get down on one knee and you say, will you marry me? And she says yes, and you slip that ring on her finger. What are you doing in that moment? You are promising to marry her for the rest of your life. The Holy Spirit is God's promise to marry the church so that the church is with him for all of eternity. Okay, it's exactly what Jesus said in John 14. He says, do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I'd tell you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. How do we know that as a believer, when we die, we are going to go into the eternal presence of God? Because he has given us the eternal spirit to live inside of us. That's the engagement ring. That's the down payment. It's the proof that when I close my eyes in death, as a believer... I will wake up into the very presence of the one who died for me, and I will never leave him again. This is, this is why Paul is going, I'm not going to grow faint, or I'm not going to give up in ministry, because I know something better is coming. I just need to endure it a little longer. Chapter 5, verse 1, Paul is talking about our physical, body, our physical bodies dying. When he says, for we know that, our, that if our earthly house of this tabernacle, okay, those, those are temporary words talking of our body, were dissolved. We have a building of God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heaven. Paul says, even if I physically die, God has already built my house, my resurrection body, and it's awaiting me. And it's awaiting me in his presence. So Paul says, I'm not gonna worry about what happens in my life 
because everything that happens in life, every day that we go through, brings us one step closer to being with Jesus. And there is no greater joy. You know, so often, and I get it, please understand this. So often we spend more time praying to keep saints out of heaven than we do praying sinners out of hell. You know, a, a believer gets diagnosed with cancer or, or, or whatever, and we pray, oh, God, please heal them. Don't let them get sick. Don't let them die. Why? Because if they have genuinely trusted in Jesus for them to die, they're going to a better place where there is no cancer, there is no pain, there's no more sorrow, suffering, there's no more tears. Why in the world would we want to prevent somebody from going there? We're more concerned about that than concerned with the very fact that if anyone dies having rejected the gospel, no matter what they did or how quote-unquote good they were, hell is their destiny. Those are the ones that ought to be breaking our hearts. Those are the ones that we ought to be praying for the most and going to talk to and befriend every which way possible. So again, let me ask you, who's your one? Who's that one person? Your family, friends, co-workers, acquaintances, whatever. Who is it that you know right now does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you praying for him by name every day? Are you asking God to give you an opportunity to share the gospel with them? Now understand it. We don't want to lose a family member. I got it. But I would rather lose them knowing they're going into the presence of Jesus than keep them here while they're suffering. I'd rather pray for the person who doesn't know Jesus. If they would know him. I know life can be difficult. Life can beat you up and it can get you down. But the promise of God in Scripture is if we've placed our faith in Jesus, we keep trusting and depending on His grace, then He is with us and He is for us. And nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. I don't know where you're at right now. But I'm going to kind of pull the curtain back for our family just a little bit. We have watched my brother-in-law, who was battling cancer, go through some difficult times. And we've seen it like, man, he's getting ready to come out of the woods. Everything's great. Only to in an hour later get a message go, well, things aren't as good as they were. We have cried as a family. We have prayed as a family. And here is the peace that we have. That whenever our time comes, we know where we're going. And we know where he's going. Do we want to lose him? No. Is everything okay? No. But I have a steadfast belief in the sovereign God that it may not be okay right now, but one day he is going to make it okay. 
that one of these days, every right, every injustice will be put together and it will be done away with. And so we keep getting up and we keep praying and we keep fighting and we keep trusting, knowing this, that God can be trusted. Even when it hurts. Even when it doesn't make sense. This is what Paul is getting at. That God can be trusted. Now I want to say this. If you've never surrendered to the grace of God, none of this applies to you. The reality is actually just the opposite. On that day when God sets everything right, it's going to be a very bad day for you. Not because I said so, but because God has. But that's why you're here. See, the very fact that God you hears and is a demonstration of his love and his grace for you because he doesn't want you to, to hear a preacher. He doesn't want you to be amazed at, at some church. He wants you to fall in love with him. He wants you to know that, yes, you are a sinner who deserve his judgment. But in his love, he died in your place. He wants you to love him. He wants you to understand that he is worthy that Jesus died the death that we deserve so that we could have the life that we don't deserve. This is the message of the gospel. But maybe you're asking yourself this question, why does this even matter? Why is living by faith so important? I want to give you two reasons. First is this. It's the only way you can be saved. Living by faith is the only way you can be saved. The, the phrase, the just shall live by faith, is in the Bible four times. We are saved by faith. And we live by faith. Because that's the only way that we can be right with God. My greatest concern is that we know that up here. But we don't know it here. My greatest concern is that from an eternal perspective, you might be living out what I'm about to tell you. I want you to imagine when we close in prayer and, and my family and I, we get in our vehicle and we're going to go to New York City. And so we start driving north and we get up near the nation's capital and I decide, you know what, I want to take Interstate 95. We're going to go to, we're gonna go to NYC. But I decide, you know what, Interstate 95 kind of looks a little busy. Interstate 95, you know what? I don't want to do it because I really think, I believe if I get on Interstate 95 South, if I really believe it hard that I can drive 95 South and I will somehow end up in New York City. You're laughing at me and give me those what in the world are you doing looks, right? Nobody in their right mind would ever believe that. But this is how some of you are operating eternally because you're thinking, if I could just be a good enough person, if I just do enough good works, if I just really, really believe it, then God will let me into heaven. And that is an absolute lie. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There are two whosoever's in Scripture. First one's Romans 10, 13. It says, Whosoever trust, uh, shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
That's whoever trusts in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, they will be saved. All their sins forgiven, they will be secured by that love for all of eternity. Here's the other one, Revelation chapter 20, verse 15. Whosoever's name was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. How do you get your name in the book of life, you ask? Great question. By trusting in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's the only way. The only way to be right with God is to trust in what Jesus did. Religion is spelled I do. Salvation is Jesus did. Not only is it important because it's the only way to be saved, but living by faith is also important because one day we will stand before God and give an account. There are two different judgments that are talked about in the scriptures. The one there in Revelation 20, we just talked about it. By the way, if you were at the great white throne judgment, that's not a good place. No soul will be justified at that that judgment. But then there's the second judgment here in chapter 5, verse 10. Paul says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now that judgment seat is a bema seat, all right? Now this, this judgment seat is not unique to scripture. Rather, it was Paul using a physical illustration to teach a spiritual truth. See, that, that judgment seat in Paul's day was this. It could be a platform where a ruling authority handed down a judgment. Um, the equivalent for you and I would be a judge's bench. Okay, you, you're in the defense table, and God's sitting there, and he's pronouncing judgment. That's one application of a judgment seat. The other one, what Paul really has in mind in our text is a platform that was used at the Olympic Games in their days to hound out awards. Okay, this judgment seat that Paul is talking about is not for unbelievers, but rather for believers. Now, what's going to happen? I want you to notice, it says, for we must all appear. Now, here's the great thing about the word all. It defines itself, all. Okay, every one of us is going to stand before God at, the, at a judgment seat. Now, what is happening here when he says we must all appear that everyone may receive the things done in his body, God is going to reveal what we have done. He is going to reveal our character. See, it's not enough for us just to do the right things. We have to do them for the right reasons. God is going to be revealing were we living for ourselves and building our kingdom or were we living for his glory and building his. See, we're not, at this judgment seat here, we're not being judged for our sins. Why? Because our sins were paid for by Jesus at the cross. They had been eternally dealt with. What is being revealed here is what have we done with our life since Jesus has saved us. We exist for two reasons. To know God and to make Him known. That's what's going to be revealed. What was your life about? So let me ask this question. What would happen if the day that you were to stand before this judgment seat, what would happen if it was today? What would be revealed? Would it be revealed that you have trusted in him? 
Or are you trying to get yourself to heaven? Would it be revealed that you were making him known that you were seeing every aspect of your life from telling people about Jesus? Or did you make life about you? What would need to change in your life so that others could see Jesus in you? Will you do it? Would you stand with me as we're going to pray together? Father, as we close out uh, this, this time of worship, we thank you just for the opportunity to study your word and to know you more. And now, Lord, we come to the most important time. We come to the time in which we just, in faith, respond to you. Lord, I trust that you have revealed whether we are genuinely saved or not. But I also trust that you have revealed whether we're living for you or not. Father, if we're not in either case, I pray that today would be that day that we just confess it. That we would trust in you, knowing that you would save us. But also, God, that we would confess any area of our life that we haven't given you control over. Any area of our life that isn't pointing other people to you. So, Father, you let us respond. In Jesus. Amen. We're going to sing one more song. So come to the altar. The altar is open. You can pray here. Pray with you. You can pray the Lord together.